happy Friday. I'm Annie. I'm the policy researcher here at Civic Ventures and a producer of the show. On Tuesday's episode about reimagining capitalism, you probably heard Anu and Trevor mention the Finnish Civil War and the role that it might have played in the type of capitalism that Finland has today. Well, I thought that was a pretty good opportunity to dive into some Pitchfork's history, so I called up an expert. Hi, uh, my name is Tuomas Tepora, and uh, I'm a historian. I work as a lecturer in history at the University of Helsinki at the moment, and I have been researching the Finnish Civil War and the commemoration of the war. Can you introduce a little bit of what the Finnish government structure was like leading up to the Civil War? Well, first of all, Finland was part of the um, Russian Empire, so it was a grand duchy in the Russian Empire uh, until uh, October Revolution. Finnish society was an anomaly in, in the Russian Empire because Russia was an autocratic society. But Finland had an, an autonomy. Uh, it had its own parliament since 1906. And uh, there was a, a universal suffrage that included women. So it was very democratic. Now, at the same time, uh, Finland was very divided, socially divided society. The class divisions were pretty high. Uh, Finnish industries were booming during the uh, World War uh, because Finland was left out, out of the war, so the Finnish uh, men were not conscripted to, to the Russian army. So, so the fin- Finnish economy was booming until 1917. And now uh, it created uh, enormous wealth for some uh, sections of the society, but it also meant that many of the uh, class divisions were highlighted. Now, of course, Finland was also at the same time a pretty rural nation at the time. The majority of the citizens lived in the countryside. The uh, land ownership wasn't very equal, uh, so the land wasn't distributed equally. And uh, there were very high class division in the countryside too. uh, And uh, these tenant farmers wanted to uh, be able to to purchase their own plots. That was uh, one of the key issues leading up to the civil war. So can you go into the class tensions a bit more? I was reading that they were aggravated by the economy from problems from be- being involved in World War One and from leaving Russia, and that there was kind of a vacuum of institutions. The October Revolution, it created a, a vacuum of power uh, in Finland and, and in Russia. Uh, and this is very important because it showed the people that old institutions were not viable anymore. And that was major, major issue in revolutionizing socialists. They understood that following the steps of, of the Bolsheviks in, in Russia could lead into a socialist takeover in Finland too. So they seized the opportunity. Uh, one must understand that the police force, the military were very complicated issues. There was no military in Finland because it was the Russian military. People started to form own paramilitary groups, uh, the white civil guards and, and the red guards. So people took the initiatives to themselves without state institutions. So there was a vacuum of power and there were 
high class divisions. Who was on either side of the class divisions? Like it was the Reds and the Whites, right? Can you describe who was on each side? Well, of course, the Reds were um, supported by uh, by working classes, both in the cities and in the countryside. At least 70% uh, of the population belong to the uh, so-called working classes. Now, geographically, it was the southern Finland where where the socialists uh, were in control. The whites or the middle classes, they consisted of farmers and uh, uh, the rather thin middle classes, meaning state officials and uh, and and merchants and you know the basic professions. And of course, there was this uh, even thinner uh, upper class, the industrialists, aristocracy, who of course supported the cause of the of the whites. The whites controlled geographically all of the uh, vast areas uh, in the north and in the, in the middle Finland. So is it true that the whites formed in response to the reds, like increasing organizing and labor demands and strikes, and they formed to protect their property? Yeah, that was very crucial uh, in the beginning. And uh, uh, the labor dispute between the industrialists and the workers and the labor dispute between uh, landowners or the farmers and uh, farm laborers and uh, tenant farmers. And of course, you must remember that there was a very uh, difficult situation uh, with the uh, um, food shortages in 1917 and during 1918, which of course sort of uh, feeded the uh, disillusionment of the ordinary people. So was that the spark that was really the difference between what I kind of understand to be this year of mounting tensions and then there was a tipping point into the beginning of the Civil War? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, one could say so. Well, the war in itself was uh, rather short, about three months. started as a, as a socialist revolution in, in the capital in Helsinki and uh, in, in, in other towns and cities in southern Finland. The socialists, the Reds, they took the initiative, and so the first part of the war, uh, the Reds were uh, pushing the whites back. And but very quickly, the uh, the whites were able to uh, to reorganize their troops and and uh, gave permission for the for German army to intervene to the conflict. Now the German. It was a, basically a, a very uh, experienced and professional army. They uh, immediately uh, wiped out the red resistance in southern Finland. It took 11 days for the Germans to, to advance from their uh, landing point in southwestern Finland to Helsinki. So it was a very quick operation, and that was in April 1918. So it became very bloody. Uh, not because of the scale of the fight, but the uh, uh, lawless executions and uh, makeshift court martials after the conflict. Uh, and that was the period when the so-called white terror started in the spring of 1918. Um, casualty figure of the entire war is about 36,000 people, which means more than 1% of the Finnish population that 
the Finnish population at the time was only 3.2 million people and 36,000 of them perished. It was largely people who were fighting for the Reds who died, is that correct? Yeah, two-thirds of the uh, casualties were Reds. One-third of all of the casualties were killed in action, one-third in white and red terror, but white terror was uh, much more bloodier than, than the red terror, and one-third in, in the um, prison camps after the war. And uh, the, the prison camps were the uh, most uh, deadliest uh, places uh, in Finland in the summer of 1918, because there, there was a, the, uh, the Spanish flu pandemia uh, that uh, affected these prisoners who uh, were hungry at, at the same time. And uh, so about 12 thousand, even 13,000 people perished in these uh, POW camps. I was wondering what the role of the Spanish flu was, because I couldn't find it anywhere online. But I was like, it must have played. It was all over the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There were 80,000 people in these prison camps, and I think something like 12 or 13,000 of them perished wow. uh, within a couple of months. You can imagine that this bitterness these uh, prison camps created in the in the society after the war, and uh, because uh, these deaths, many of them could have been avoided uh, by better hygiene, better nutrition, uh, uh, and so so the majority of these deaths were caused by ignorance by the whites. They just just didn't care. How did it end? Uh, how did it end? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, first of all, there were certain prominent dissenting voices within the ranks of the whites who gained some publicity, but they were mostly ignored. But very crucial was that uh, the international media, especially in neighboring Sweden, to follow uh, the disaster in Finland. And of course the attention of, of an international media. That's when, when, when the uh, uh, Finnish officials, the white officials, started to react. And very quickly, uh, the majority of the, these red prisoners uh, were freed before the end of the year 1918. And this is also a very important thing that you must understand that when the civil war was raging and during the terror phase of the war, there was no legal, legally binding trials uh, or any criminal prosecution. People just were killed. But after the prison camps were established, although they were very deadly, legal institutions were recreated and they started to, uh, to research, uh, to prosecute and try these uh, revolutionaries. But the majority of the of the Reds were free because they were uh, deemed as just ordinary guardsmen uh, who didn't have much influence in the war. And uh, that was important. Another very important factor that created lots of controversy and bitterness was that all or basically all of the white perpetrators were able to walk away from the mass killings without any sentences. How did they overcome those divisions? Because they pretty much had to jump into working together to create a government. Yeah. Well, obviously, it wasn't the easy task. 
but yet at the same time, uh, it was a success story of a kind. And this is something that I have been researching <laughs> a lot lately, and I'm still <laughs> a bit puzzled <laughs> at that how it was possible to, to overcome these uh, plates. And, um, well, first of all, it is very amazing that there was very little political violence in Finland after uh, the Civil War in the 20s. I think one of the reasons is that there was um, a genuine endeavor to, uh, uh, to reinstate legal society after the war. Then many of these uh, reforms that had been crucial before the Civil War that had not been implemented, like uh, giving the tenant farmers uh, the right to purchase their, their farms and uh, stuff like that, they were very quickly implemented after the war. Now, there was eight-hour working day. The tenant farmer question was solved. And then one of the major uh, issues had been uh, the uh, disparity between uh, suffrage. Because there was universal suffrage in uh, uh, a parliament election in Finland. But in the local city and uh, uh, rural council elections, uh, uh, the universal suffrage was not known. Uh, and, and, and the suffrage was still based on capital. <laughs> so, so all the uh, men, not, not even women, but only, only the men of capital and uh, enough earnings were able to vote. Now, this uh, <laughs> problem was solved also immediately after the Civil War. So looking at the history of the democratic socialism movement in Finland, do you think that the type of system that exists in Finland today could have happened without the Civil War? Oh, yes, of course, it could have happened without the Civil War. I think the Civil War, in fact, slowed down the uh, progress. Uh, so uh, many of the uh, Nordic welfare state innovations had been implemented in, in Sweden uh, and in Denmark way before in Finland. But of course, the Civil War had its uh, influence, that's for sure. And uh, after the Civil War, very quickly, it was established and understood uh, that a small nation, a small society like Finland, it could not prosper without democratic institutions. And uh, the majority of the whites were very pro-democracy too. And, uh, and that's something that one must understand that the uh, upper class or the uh, people with, with capital, it was very thin in Finland. So they couldn't rule without the consent of the, of the larger masses. How do Finns look back on the war today? Is it seen as a, like a revolution or is it lumped in with Russian liberation? Is it seen as a class war? How is it viewed by history? Well, that's, that's a very good question <laughs> because there is, isn't a consensus in Finland on what the war is. There isn't even a consensus uh, for the name of the war. <laughs> so we don't even call it the civil war usually. <laughs> civil war is something that is used, but it's um, more of a, well, it, it's a sort of a social democratic name for the war, the civil war. Now, uh, many of the younger 
generations and many of the researchers like me used a phrase that would be translated as domestic war or an internal war because it um, gives an impression of neutrality whereas civil war is historically been seen as a social democratic name of the war. Now the winners of the war, the whites, they never call it the civil war. They call it the war of liberation. They saw it as it was the war that liberated Finland from Russia. Now, of course, uh, it was also problematic that at the event of Finnish independence, the nation started to uh, fight right. themselves. Because that was the first time that Finland and that was, was yeah, on its own, yeah. right? Because they were like they were ruled by the Swedish Empire before. It was sort of national narrative and nationalism. It was very problematic, and now. Uh, it was also one of the reasons that the War of Liberation uh, narrative uh, gained popularity uh, in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, and even today, there are many people who actually call it the War of Liberation. Uh, but it is, if one calls it the War of Liberation today, it is usually a sign of rather conservative, even, even right-wing uh, political attitude. So those divisions still exist today? Symbolically, yes, but I mean, we don't really think of when I, you know, when I meet a new person, I, I don't really think that about his or her allegiance right. <laughs> regarding the civil war. You know, we do in, where, in the where, U.S. when yeah. we meet someone, we're like trying to figure out what, what their ideology is. Well, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, of course, but I, I don't think that. The civil war is perhaps the uh, the point of reference in okay. history. Okay. Still, okay. It, it's interesting. Why why is it so? I mean, because the civil war is still a very popular uh, historical uh, event. I mean, not only in research and in, in the academia, but but in, in, in fiction and in popular culture today. I think the uh, hegemonic uh, view of the civil war is tragedy, and it's tragedy. For, for the both sides. And uh, it isn't uh, regarded as very uh, clever to uh, narrate the civil war by taking either red or white point of view. But one is expected to uh, emphasize with, with both sides and, uh, and, and, and problematize the, the conflict and its uh, allegiances and, and stuff like that. Uh, so I think it's about a tragedy today and that's interesting because in a way it has been able to because uh, the civil war has always been very problematic for the sort of official state narrative of finland it was very difficult to commemorate it has not been commemorated since the end of world war ii until i'm talking about the state commemoration or the official commemoration now until two years ago when there was this uh, uh, centenary of the civil war and it was time when the state sort of had to react and uh, stage commemorations and it was about tragedy mutual mutual tragedy i want to finish up by asking you something that we ask everyone which is why do you do the work that you do why do you study the finnish civil war when i started studying history i wasn't interested in, in war at all, and I uh, I couldn't imagine myself doing military history or or anything that is uh, connected 
with war studies. But I was very interested about Finnish nationalism and how the Finnish society uh, had been uh, constructed. And then I started to understand that uh, the war, uh, World War II and the Civil War, uh, formed very uh, key elements in Finnish uh, collective identities and, and and commemorations and so I couldn't avoid uh, researching them and uh, and I'm really interested both in um, collective memories of the wars. Well thank you so much for your time I appreciate it so much. Uh, you're welcome. Okay bye. Thank you bye. <laughs> Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. The magic happens in Seattle in partnership with the Young Turks Network. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.